Football fans, and welcome to episode 144 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined in person by my dad Peter Schmitz. Oh, that hurt my back. <laughs> Hi there, Husker fans and college football fans. Yes, we're coming to you from St. Augustine, Florida, in person today, and we have a special guest coming to us from the great up north of Northern Michigan, uh, Brian Clower. And a happy uh, New Year to you two, gentlemen. Uh, from the Great White North, which right now is ironically kind of green because it's been fairly <laughs> mild here as well. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We know you guys got quite the storm right at Christmas, but it's already cleared up. It pretty much has been. It's been pretty amazing. So uh, we're we're starting the new year off a little bit a little bit uh, more mild than usual, and looking forward to a, a successful and happy twenty three. Great. Yep, so this is our first podcast of 2023, and we're coming to you on New Year's Day, uh, so the day after the college football playoff semifinals. Uh, so we'll be talking about those, as well as the other bowl games that have already been played, and of course previewing the national championship game. Uh, so we'll have a lot to get into there. Uh, Brian has joined us in the past on podcast. It's been a while, but he'll be able to bring a Michigan perspective to things, which should be interesting for uh, our listeners. Now, if we're going to have to talk about Michigan, I may have to sign off right now. <laughs> that might be a problem. Um, oh, but before boy. we dive into all that, uh, we're going to stick with our tradition and crack open some some beverages. Uh, I've got Yingling right. uh, 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 Light Lager here. There you go. Y- Yingling is a, a Yingling. beer you can't get back there in California. Yeah. yeah, so that's good. I'm also drinking a special version of Yingling. It's uh, uh, I think Brian, you might appreciate this. This is Yingling's Porter, made oh, with Yingling nice. and Hershey's chocolate from Pennsylvania. Oh wow! Wow. <laughs> yep, uh, Yingling is the oldest uh, continuously uh, producing uh, brewery in America, from Porter uh, Pottsville, P- Pennsylvania. All right, and an independent independent Pete, or are they affiliated with any of the breweries? Uh, no, I think they're independent. They're independent. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, here we go. All righty. Here we go. Cheers, right. cheers, son. Cheers. cheers, cheers, Brian. Cheers, gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> um, so to start things off. Um, We'll talk about uh, some of the other playoff games. You know, Dad and I on the last podcast predicted some of the bigger ones in terms other of bowl games, right? The win losses and things of that nature. Um, but one kind of uh, point that has pervaded all of the bowl games and all of college football here in this postseason um, is uh, this new situation with uh, players sitting out. Uh, for the NFL, you know, not wanting to potentially injure themselves, you know, in bowl games, and then also transferring uh, to other teams um, before the bowl game. Uh, so we've seen a lot of teams play without some of their key talent, and so it's kind of like you're seeing, not necessarily seeing a representation of what they were capable of in the regular season. Right. Yeah, and it's a- pretty amazing. And actually, the uh, you know the the opting out has been going on for a few years now. Uh, pretty much since the college football playoff ha- has begun, where uh, the the central focus on those playoff games has diminished effectively every other uh, bowl game, and so players are making you know the the career choice really that it's in their best interest 
to, uh, you know, um, opt out of that bowl game and the risk of injury in exchange for um, getting a, uh, a head start on their preparations for the, the draft. Now, though, this year is really the first major year in which the portal transfer situation, enhanced by the COVID extra year still being a, a factor in all this, that has just created a, a flood of additional players opting not to participate in the bowl game because of the, uh, the transfer portal implication. It's the Wild West, guys. What can you say? Uh, <laughs> reflecting back a little bit, when we first started having star players opting out, I was sharing with Pete, Alex, that uh, uh, Jabril Peppers chose one year to opt out, essentially by saying he had a hamstring injury. Now, he may well have, but it was ironic that he developed a hamstring situation during warm-ups of a bowl <laughs> game that didn't mean much to us. And I think at that point in time, the, the clear opt-out, the obvious blatant opt-out, was not something that they were doing. They were having to use maybe an injury or something of that nature to excuse themselves. Now it's just accepted. In fact, I think it's even encouraged by teammates. Uh, there was a case in which one of our teammates encouraged uh, uh, one of his uh, other teammates on the team to opt out of this game because he was a little dinged up uh, and wanted him to make money in the pros. So you can see the logic, but it's just a frustration. Well, and... You know, I can understand it to some extent with, you know, uh, a non-playoff bowl game. But for you guys, I mean, you're playing yeah. for the chance to be national champions. Right. Uh, so, you know, even if you are a little dinged up, you know, it feels like you'd want to contribute to that effort. You'd think so. But I think in many cases, the, uh, the team atmosphere, the team investment is lessened, has been lessened. And again, one of the things we've talked about extensively is the fact that maybe these kids are taking care of number one. And in some ways, sports in general, whether it's the coaching staff, the program itself, the brand, it all seems like they're all generating uh, their, their own focus on their own individual well-being or money. And that's a, that's a balancing act we're trying to sort through. That's definitely true. Um, another interesting thing, we read a Sports Illustrated article um, that uh, had a little talk with uh, the head executive of Bold Season, which is an organization that uh, controls the majority of the bowl games or, you know, helps uh, with logistics and oversee just, them. Uh, relationships and, yeah, contracts, all that. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and so basically he was saying that it comes springtime, he's planning to talk with the commissioners of all the conferences to kind of decide what the bowls are going to be in this upcoming era of the 12-team playoff because we only have one more year now of the 14 playoff before things really change. And some of the talking points that are expected to be considered are uh, increasing the uh, minimum to 6-6 six and six instead of 5-7, and seven, giving NIL payments to players to entice them to go, uh, shifting the games up a week in the schedule, uh, changing up conference affiliations, things of that nature. So, uh, you know... With an expanded playoff, the Bulls become even rest, less relevant than they currently are because more teams are part of the actual fight for number one. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what maybe some of the minor Bulls, you know, just going away entirely. Um, and then the the bigger ones, you know, sticking around. We know that the, the major six, the New Year's six, are going to be part of the rotation of the 12-team playoff um, in terms of, like, the 
quarterfinals and the semifinals to get to that national championship game. And that's an interesting point. The, the, the concern that I have is the tradition of the bowls are, are very different than what they were in the past or will be in the future. And there'll be venues rather than kind of a traditional event. And I think that's something that I'm going to miss. I've, I've talked extensively about that with Pete. The Rose Bowl has always been, you know, the Big Ten, Pac-10 or Pac-12 uh, connection. And it's something that I grew up with and cherished. And clearly that will become a rotating venue for a, a certain matchup of some degree of competition based on the championship uh, format, but no longer something that is Big Ten, Pac-12 uh, unique and also carries that that uh, uh, championship of the of the Rose Bowl, it'll it'll no longer be a championship site unless it happens to be the one that falls that year on. So, right, it, times are changing. Well, and and so for example, since that is one of those New Year's Day six, the question becomes: Is there ever going to be just a Rose Bowl again? Right, like exactly. now there are years when the this is not in the rotation of the uh, of the semifinals or the finals, and you have a for lack of a better term, a more of a traditional Rose Bowl, right? Right, uh, like this year. Like this year, right. That's not necessarily going to happen, I don't think, going forward. Um, because it's going to be a part of the playoffs every year. So maybe they are still going to have it. I really don't know the answer to that. They may call it that, but I think it's going to be more of a venue-based uh, situation right. rather than some kind of an affiliated Rose Bowl championship, let's say. Right, yeah. because... Now with the 12-team playoff, the champion of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are guaranteed to be in the playoff. And even the second-best teams from both conferences may be in the playoff. So then you'd be playing the third, say, the third-best from both sides. And, you know, maybe you can still do that, but it certainly loses a lot of the prestige it used to have. Yeah. So... Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how all of those changes and and, and all the dialogue like like was interest, interesting to me about this article was an acknowledgement that they they recognize that the the status quo uh, won't work in this new NIL era. So now to entice players to keep them from opting out, they're going to likely uh, have some form of compensation of NIL money that is associated with the teams that are invited to their particular bowl game. So those bowl games now might very well have to be forced really to either get more sponsorship or um, reallocate some of their existing sponsorship for the purposes of paying NIL dollars to all the participants. That is interesting. That brings up two thoughts. First of all, I'm gonna backtrack a bit back to the Rose Bowl last year uh, and just finish my thought with the idea of uh, it being a lesser event now. Ohio State, which had lost, just you know, recently lost to Michigan in that game, uh, they were the, then the Rose Bowl representatives for the Big Ten. They clearly were unhappy with that placement, and they ended up winning against Utah, but nevertheless did say, this was not our goal. And so that in itself kind of it, it exposed to me that the Rose Bowl had lost you know, the uh, emphasis and the focus that it once had carried, which is unfortunate. But relative to the point you just made, Pete, with the NIL payments, perhaps, for players staying in the action, it's unfortunate that you've paid these or you've essentially compensated these players for at least three years, perhaps maybe four or five, in some cases now even six, through uh, all of the 
scholarship money for education and all of the supplemental things that go with being a collegiate athlete, uh, amateur athlete. And at the same time, not having any loyalty for them to play that final game without some kind of compensation. That's just kind of ironic. Yeah, it's 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 a sad state compared to the old you know the old days where it was more about the prestige of the bowl and being able to travel with your team to some cool location you know get a cool unique experience uh, that in itself was kind of the reward it was. yeah um, but yeah. now with more and more money coming into college football and that becoming more emphasized and like we said the you know more selfish um, focused on me not the team kind of attitudes. Uh, we're kind of seeing that uh, fade away more. Well, and and, and, yep. the rea- and the reality is, if you're not playing in a in a bowl game or in a in one of these games uh, because you're uh, you're wanting to pre- prepare for the NFL because you you believe you have an opportunity to play in the NFL, the reality is, how much would they have to pay you, right, to for you to risk your career uh, mm-hmm. through an injury situation? Um, how would you do that, right? So, so I don't know that a, throwing five thousand dollars at a player is necessarily going to motivate them to change their uh, uh, mind about participation in a bowl game. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the magnitude absolutely. of money that would be required to it would have to be life changing money, and they're not going to yeah. do that. They can't do that. Well, an injury could you know, could dictate a very different uh, spot on your draft. Right. You, know, you oh, might be a, 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 a first-day draft choice, bump down to three or four, if if anything. Uh, I was going to say, the only thing that NIL uh, would do in terms of NIL compensation during bowl games is probably motivate some players to wait until after their bowl game before they announce they're going into the portal. Yeah. It, yeah. Would, it would delay their entry into the portal. Right. Very true, very true. Um, now, getting on to the bowl games, um, obviously there are a ton of bowl games over the past few weeks, um, and we're only be focusing on kind of the major ones or the ones that were interesting in terms of the result. Um, so uh, one that was earlier on was the Las Vegas Bowl with uh, Oregon State uh, crushing Florida 30-3, uh, to and uh, we had Air Force beating Baylor in the Armed Forces Bowl 30-15. to So two upsets. Two upsets and, and, and really two prime examples of uh, bowl games matching a team that wanted to be there against the team that didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, in the case of uh, Oregon State, to play in a, a bowl game and to have had the positive season that they've had, they were giddy, their fans were excited – there was so much energy for them, uh, and they played like it, right? And I think similarly, the Air Force uh, was very happy to be in a bowl game, right? Uh, versus um, who was Baylor. the other team? Baylor. Baylor. Yeah. yeah. Who 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 came into the season, I believe, preseason top ten ranked and expected to compete and possibly win the Big Twelve. Coming off last year, I think they were definitely at high expectations, and Air Force just did what they always do. Just grind on them and play smart football. And uh, like you said, Pete, I don't think Baylor was that interested in being there. They probably had a great time with the bowl experience and then did a walkthrough that day. Exactly. Yep. And, and so that's, that's what's so critical when we, when, whenever we are uh, doing the prediction show uh, earlier a couple of weeks ago um, uh, on all these bowl games, that's the hardest thing to really decipher. And it's what always made, you know, any of those bowl challenges, you know, I think you used to participate with me a few times when, when we regularly did a, a bowl challenge 
And uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was the reason it was hard to, to pick the winner. And it's even more difficult today um, because so many of these teams, you just have to really question where are they going to draw their motivation from. Well, I'd heard that Pitt had nine players that opted out of their bowl game. And ironically, they ended up winning their bowl game. So uh, it doesn't always you know, hold true. But as you're saying, if you have five, six, seven players out, and typically those are players that are, number one, either transferring or opting to go you know, in the NFL and they're guarding themselves, those are critical players. Those are, those are team-making, game-making different players, difference players that are now missing. So, uh, and your depth is, is compromised. So it's a, it's a different thing. It would be difficult to be a coach under those circumstances. Definitely. I totally agree with that. Um, in terms of uh, a bowl game that we did predict, uh, there's the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which was Wisconsin and Oklahoma State. Uh, I predicted that Wisconsin would win it, while Dad predicted that Oklahoma State would win it. Uh, ended up being a Wisconsin victory of 24-17, you know, a bit, bit lower scoring. Um, and I think your reasoning was that, you know, Wisconsin had uh, the new coach coming in with Luke Fickle, and uh, Jim Leonard sticking around as defensive coordinator, so we weren't sure how that kind of chaos would manifest itself in the game. Um, but then we learned that Oklahoma State had their own fair share of players uh, not being available for the game, and so they had their own problems to deal with. Right, and, and they had a bunch of turnover in coaches. After this season, They uh, um, their, their head coach replaced like four or five assistants, and so they had a bunch of new assistants that were uh, playing in that game. Mm-hmm. Or for the Did first Fickle time, Fickle coach that game. Uh, uh, Fickle, di- Fickle was the he was the guy on the sidelines. Uh, b- but I think for the most part, the game plan, all that was still done by the previous guy, Jim Leonard, who was the interim head gotcha. coach uh, and was the defensive coordinator for sure. Uh, but uh, I don't know that like Fickle wasn't calling plays or anything. I think he just was kind of on the sidelines and stuff. Now I've not kept up because it's changed a couple times. Has Leonard opted to stay or leave? Because I know he's gone. Back and forth at least once. Right, he he twice. he's uh, he's leaving, or he, he but he decided to stay and stick with his, you know, his team until this bowl, the bowl game was over. Right, gotcha. Yep, yep. So yep, good, good for Wisconsin. You know, I know Dad was torn because on the one hand it's good for the Big Ten for <laughs> them to win these bowl games. On the other hand, anything good happening to our rivals is bad. So right. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I really am. I'm at a point uh, where it is hard for me to be happy uh, uh, with anybody else having success. Because I've realized, and, and we talked a little bit about this previously, you know, to a large degree in football, uh, and particularly within your conference, it's a zero-sum game. There's only so many games that are conference games, and somebody has to win one and somebody has to lose it. There aren't ties. So, right. so guess what, you know? If your rival is winning, that's not good for you. It's not good on any level, even though, you know, somehow the, the SEC has been able to create this whole, you know, SEC moniker thing. And that's mostly because everybody, I think, fell victim to uh, basically acknowledging that, that for about a decade, Alabama was going to win the SEC every year anyway. So it was no longer about who's going to win the league. It was now about... Let's ride the coattails of Alabama's success, and let's let's be prideful of uh, our collective success. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think we have that in the Big Ten. I don't think any other conference other than the SEC has that. Yeah, because we still hold our rivalries uh, pretty staunchly. Well, 
to that point, um, we were at a uh, bar watching some of the games, eating some food here in Florida, and there was a guy next to us who was cheering for uh, one of the teams, uh, and I asked him, uh, I think it was the... Uh, or maybe it was the South Carolina game against Notre Dame. Oh, okay. It was one of those two. But basically, I was like, uh, oh, are you, which team are you rooting for? And he's like, oh, I'm an SEC fan, so I'm rooting for the SEC. Right. You know, That's guy. It, yeah, that was, at the, that was during the, the Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, uh, South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina game. And he was just sitting at the bar, and he was not a South Carolina fan, but he was rooting for them because they're SEC. <laughs> and, and I just – I don't see Big Ten fans doing that. I don't see you rooting for Ohio State – or uh, well, and maybe you I, I, might root for Nebraska because we really aren't a threat, and and you have right. a friend who's a who's a Nebraska fan, right? But that's <laughs> if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't give a shit. In fact, you'd probably prefer that Nebraska continue to be bad, uh, because if all of a sudden we merged, we emerged as a talent, as a real threat. Guess what? You ain't rooting for our success. I would root for the Big Ten during bowl games in the past because I thought it was representative of our conference right. successes in, in its ranking, so to speak, and the hierarchy of all the, the Power Five, uh, other than rooting, of course, for Ohio State, which I never do. I'd even root for Michigan State on rare occasions, but uh, it would have to be against an opponent I disliked uh, even more. But I do think uh, that has dwindled. I think you're exactly right, Pete. You don't want anyone making hay uh, during any time of the year because that can take you down a notch or, or grab some power or strength or uh, uh, players, perhaps, away from you. Yep. Yep. And on that point, uh, in the Pinstripe Bowl, we had Minnesota versus Syracuse, uh, and Minnesota won 28-20. Uh, to 20. Uh, That game was of some interest to Dan and I because our new defensive coordinator was at Syracuse before, so we got to see kind of how they run um, that particular system. Um and that was a game where uh, Minnesota's defense uh, got some points for them, basically. So Syracuse's defense didn't perform badly, uh, but on the offense, Syracuse struggled. And Minnesota did what they always do and just played solid football and uh, managed to kind of beat a more talented opponent. And that oftentimes is the case in a bowl game where those teams, especially if they're lacking players, uh, will just muddy things up and just grind on you. And, and that's what I expected yesterday with the two uh, semifinal games and was clearly wrong. Right, right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, well, uh, and that's, you know, we, we're going to get to that very shortly here. And the bottom line is, yeah, I don't think either of those final, uh, semifinals games went like we thought they were going <laughs> to. No. Exactly. Well, actually, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and then this was a crazy one. Uh, Kansas versus Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. Um Kansas was losing 38-13 to in the third quarter, and Dad and I actually switched to something else, uh, just stopped watching the game because it was so obvious that Arkansas was going to win and you know SEC was going to dominate, da-da-da. Uh, but then Kansas started to uh, get some momentum going, and then late in the fourth quarter, Arkansas had a fumble with three minutes to go. So Kansas drives it down, scores a touchdown, then gets a great onside kick where Arkansas, frankly, uh, didn't do anything to try to get it. Um, and then they score again to tie up the game. It goes into overtime, ends up going to triple overtime, and Kansas only loses because they mess up on the two-point conversion that's required in triple overtime. So it turned out to be quite a game. That was a great game. Great finish. Yes. Great finish, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would say that about a number of games. A lot of these games, even that Minnesota-Syracuse game, it was hard to watch that game. 
I mean, neither one of those teams played well, right? It was not clean football. It was, it was very ugly football. But yet it was, it was interesting because it was in doubt until the last you know, minute or two of the game, right? And same with that Kansas game. That, that Kansas game was atrociously played, but yet interesting because of the end. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. We made a note of that, you know, partially because of all these transfers and stuff, right? It's some messy football, and they haven't been in practice as regularly. They have this kind of break for the holidays and stuff. So uh, it's entertaining football, even if it's not clean football, you know, so to speak. Uh, two other games of interest are uh, Oklahoma versus Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, which ended up being a Florida State victory 35-32, and the Alamo Bowl with Washington beating Texas 27-20. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dad was uh, happy about that one. We, we kept on uh, examining that Washington quarterback's throwing motion. He's a left-handed quarterback and has a very strange motion very compact he doesn't follow through in a traditional sense uh, he's clearly got a really strong arm but he was missing the deep ball like a dozen times in that game but it, but there was uh, there was also something really other uh, unique about that okay so um um <laughs> let's see here uh washington um was uh that guy was throwing the ball and his receivers were making spectacular catches oh, yeah. on his behalf right i mean they were making him look good and this guy, it's Penix. It's the guy from Indiana. Sure. Right. Yep. Uh, he's Michael, coming back, Michael, by the way. Michael Penix. Yeah, he's coming back for Washington. He's got another year. Which is astonishing. Yeah, he's I know. back yet another year. I know. You're right. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, um, his receivers just making these catches at the ground, you know, just up high. I mean, just incredible catches, making him look great. And then, uh, and then the, uh, the opposing quarterback was like, you know, uh, the Texas quarterback, I mean, he's throwing the ball and it's landing in the bread basket of this, you know, wide receiver who's open and he drops it. And it just happened like four times. And we had to comment that, God, I, I have a feeling that that Ewers guy is like, shit, I'll trade re- wide receivers with you any day of the week there, Michael Penix, because that makes a difference. It does. You guys can catch the ball. Uh, you were mentioning Alex, this guy's delivery. I'm watching the, uh, game yesterday with uh, oh, the uh, transfer from uh, it was the Tennessee game. He's the new quarterback, Milton, right. uh, who, who stepped in uh, as a starter yesterday for Tennessee. Same thing, 6'5", and he throws the ball at about a four-foot level, you know, like he's sidearming it. Right. And I'm thinking, do these guys just come with these bad habits and, and they're not coached to change them and, and it's allowed because it clearly isn't the most effective throwing motion. And the kid's got a cannon for an arm, but – I don't know how far he can go with it if he's going to sling it that way. Right. And, and I, I suspect there's more than one quarterback coach that has tried to change his throwing motion, but then they abandon it at some point because at some point they're looking at the whole package and saying, I want to just get that athlete on the field. And if that's yeah. the way he's comfortable throwing it, uh, I tried to change it. It, it. it did not lead to a positive result. I mean, it just would take so long to get somebody to truly change the habit, right? Or they, mm-hmm. they, they do it for the first quarter, and then as the game goes on, it deteriorates, and they go back to their old way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I predicted that Florida State would win in that Oklahoma game, so I get the point there because you picked Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, but we both predict- What is the tally right now, Alex? Well, we, and we both predicted Washington would beat Texas. Okay. 
Uh, so I'm up by two currently in our uh, predictions. Yes. Uh, but that won't last for long. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of that game you were just talking about, Brian, uh, that was the Orange Bowl, Tennessee-Clemson. I really thought that was going to be one of the best bowl games we had. You know, they seem yeah. like pretty evenly matched teams. They're both orange, which was funny. Um, Clemson had just uh, started this new quarterback, this new young quarterback in the conference championship game, and he played really well. And the other guy, the starter for the whole season, had left and transferred to or- Oregon State. Um and so it seemed like Clemson had kind of got it figured out. Uh, but then they just made so many mistakes in that game. They out-yarded Tennessee significantly and in time of possession and everything. Uh, but they just couldn't get the scores going. And they had a terrible end of the first half where they just ran out of time and didn't get any points when they could have gotten a field goal. So it was a real, a real frustrating day if you were a Clemson fan. Yeah, I can relate. Well, <laughs> very, very similar, very and, similar game. And so can we. We had a whole season yeah. of it, i.e. Oh, 2021, where Scott Frost found so many different ways to beat a team in every statistical category except the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. and that's the one that counts. That's right. Yep. So uh, I predicted that Clemson would win 31-24. Dad predicted that Tennessee would win 45-31. And that being 31-14 uh, Tennessee victory. So Dad gets the nod there. Well, Tennessee's a scary team. I was telling your dad, Alex, that Tennessee's a team that makes me nervous. I think they've got a really progressive coach. Uh, he's got a very different philosophy than most of the SEC schools. He doesn't mind putting up points and trying to have a shootout, and it might be successful with the talent he's got there and his recruiting uh, ability. So Tennessee's a scary team in the future, I think. Well, and I suppose one thing I didn't factor into my prediction was that unlike a lot of these other SEC schools Tennessee was happy to be there because they've had a good season this year you know even though they kind of had some disappointing losses near the end you know this season still went a lot better than they thought it would they beat Alabama so you know they aren't in the same position as some of those other ones that's true um and then we had uh the Alabama Kansas State game uh, for some reason, I went with my heart and said that uh, Kansas State was going to win that one, uh, while Dad was the realist and said that Alabama would win uh, 35-21, and uh, it being 45-20, to so kind of a drumming on uh, Alabama's part. But Kansas State get, did get out to an early lead of 10 to nothing, and they were clearly going for the win. They were willing to take risks, not settle for field goals, to try to go for touchdowns. It just didn't work out for them. That's right. Clearly overmatched, clearly overmatched. And you look at the Alabama team and, and you think to yourself, man, that's a Final Four team. Right. Uh, yeah, as you watch them play. They played clean yeah. and solid uh, in all phases. Just dominating. Yeah. yeah, just a dominating team. Yep. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Saban's uh, ready to launch into a new year. I'm, I guarantee you they'll be – furious next well, year and will give us all trouble we're, we're not we're not talking about recruiting on this podcast but uh, their season right. is looking just fine in terms oh, of it's crazy recruiting. <laughs> yeah yep. so he Saban is bouncing back fine there and you know to his credit he got he, the team came focused ready to play they woke up after Kansas State went up early and Bryce Young started playing better um so they didn't sleepwalk like I was fearing they would or hoping well, they would that's an exception to what we've been discussing. They had no business being motivated to do well. And that may have been why they started slow, but clearly their talent was so superior. They said, yeah, we can, 
we can just march through these guys. It was it was a clear win. And we didn't predict this one, but uh, Iowa beat Kentucky twenty-one to nothing with two pick sixes in one of the uh, <laughs> most Iowa games you've ever heard of. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a team! Huh? Well, and 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 Kentucky, you know, I mean, they, uh, you know, N- N- Nebraska, That's a good team, exactly, and Nebraska and other teams were courting uh, their coach. You know, uh, he was in the mix with a, a lot of jobs. I mean, you know, there was all this recognition about, you know, what he's done there at Kentucky. They have some real talent there. So, yep. you, you know, I fully expected them to to do well, especially since we beat Iowa. And, well, and Kentucky's been competitive with the SEC big boys all season long yep. and played close games with all those lead SEC schools. So they were definitely – a very good, a very good team, a very good program, but Iowa just does their Iowa thing. Well, that's the thing is that um, you know um, their corners, Iowa's corners, just they were feasting on that Kentucky quarterback the whole day, and uh, two of them obviously were pick sixes, but there were others too where they dang near got a pick, and uh, and I think he just got to where he was so gun shy, and that they, they just their whole system fell apart. And again, I can relate. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, we have the Fiesta Bowl, uh, where uh, we both predicted that Michigan would win. I predicted a closer score of 28 to 17. Well, Dad went for the blowout of 48 24. Uh, and the final score ended up being high scoring 51 45 with TCU upsetting Michigan. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> hey. It's a New Year's Day tradition, New Year's Eve tradition. Yeah. Six well, in a row, six bowl games lost in a row. So. Well, yeah, I saw that stat this morning that uh, he's lost six straight bowls by a margin, uh, average margin of 13.7 points. Man. we got to remember, though, Jim, Jim Harbaugh is a disciple of Bo Schembechler, and if you look at Bo's board, uh, <laughs> yeah. bowl record, yeah. very similar. So I think Harbaugh is just patterning himself <laughs> after his mentor. <laughs> Well, but but so so I'm going to jump right in on this game, okay? And I'm going to say, you know, I did expect Michigan to win. I thought Michigan was the, not just the superior team, but I thought there was a significant difference. If you look at the if you look at the both the record and how that record was achieved of TCU and Michigan, you see dramatically different seasons. Uh, yeah. You see a TCU team that had to come from behind seven times uh, for victories. Uh, during the season, they were a team that was constantly under duress, you know, not ever, you know, cruising, so to speak, smooth, beating people. You, on yeah. the other, or Michigan, on the other hand, was a team that, for the most part, in many of their games, once you got somewhere into the third quarter, they were pretty much controlling the game. And they were doing yeah. that uh, by use of their offensive line and then, you know, enough success passing the football to keep the Lions from, you know, loading everybody in the box, right? And and yep. and you had the you had the players and specifically the offensive line to do that. Well and, and so you you guys just weren't stressed that many times. Illinois stressed you a bit. Um yep. and you know um uh, we trailed like Ohio was, State. Yeah you trailed Ohio the, State. Yep. yep. Uh but uh and I feel like there was one other game uh earlier yep. in the season that you maybe you know, it was tenuous. Maybe it was Iowa because you just never know with Iowa, right? Uh, but then right. eventually you pulled away. But other than that, I mean, when you played us, it was a 30-3 to game. There was never really any doubt who was going to win, that sort of stuff. So um, I just was convinced 
that if you just do what you've been doing, and Harbaugh had yeah. shown so, we, we talked about it, Brian, you and I had a number of times about how Harbaugh had been very patient with his running game, even when maybe he initially in, say, the first quarter or whatever, wasn't having a lot of success, he stayed with it. He stayed with what was working, what had been working, and they were just very disciplined. And yep. then, they, then they get in this game against TCU, and they throw all that out, it seemed to me. I mean, the play calling was just head-scratching to me the whole time. And then defensively, uh, it was like they had never seen four wide receivers before. Yeah, they went against everything that, that we were used to seeing the entire year. And your point to start, Pete, was an excellent one. I think that TCU was raised this year on, on challenges and, and come from behinds and stress and, you know, uh, just things not always going their way and finding a way to win. It was so unusual for us to be in a situation where it wasn't coming easily for us and we weren't rolling over someone, especially in the second half. I think that it was it was uh, a case that we couldn't respond as well as we should have. That said, I think it was all set up by the fact that uh, they didn't run the ball. Uh, they started, I think they had too much time to plan. They got too cute. Right. And the bottom line is they went away from everything that they had success with this year and let TCU dictate the game. We played a Big 12 game yesterday. Yep. And it was a shootout. And if we'd had more time, maybe we'd have caught them. But we might never have caught them because they kept scoring every time we'd score. And that's not how, we go, that's <laughs> right. not how we're going to win. Right. If you look at third down and fourth down efficiency, they were 8 of 16, 50%. Right. Pretty, pretty good for third down. Yep. Uh, you guys were 3 of 15 unbelievable well right if you combine fourth third. downs and the third downs because right. you were 0 2 on the fourth downs which right. one of which was particularly infamous that, that's yeah. oh <laughs> devastating yeah <laughs> yeah and dad and i agreed that going for it on fourth down on that situation on the first drive of the game uh, when you're on like the two yard line made sense to do in a championship setting absolutely but you just chose the weirdest trick play in the world to try <laughs> it, i, I well, just not only couldn't believe play. it yeah, not only a trick play, but a very long developing trick play yes. with with a freshman backup tight end as your now throwing player. Right on on the sweep, crazy, crazy call. And the poor kid didn't have even the presence of mind to throw the ball away, which would have at least preserved the position of the the ball at about the two or you know one or two yard line. Right. He ended up getting sacked at the seven or nine or whatever it was. It's like nothing good came from that. That's right. And the worst case scenario would have been just line up one of the big boys and let him rumble it in. Yeah. Uh, well, and what was probably the most surprising to me, because I was definitely more believing in TCU than dad was. I didn't think it was going to be a blowout. I thought it'd be a close game, but that Michigan would win. And when uh, Michigan on the first play gets like a 70 yard run, you know, yep. right through the middle of the TCU uh, line, I thought, oh man, this could be a blowout. They're going to run all over the place. But after that, that way. after that play, uh, TCU really got it together in terms of uh, rush defense. That was clearly their game plan going in was to tr try to stop the rush. And Michigan only had 186 total rushing yards. Well, and if you take that 60-yard run away yeah. on that first play, you're down to 126. And then you right. you recognize that out of those 126, half of those were from your quarterback in yeah. basically runs or scramble situations. Too. Yeah. so You take away... The big run by the quarterback and the initial run by our, our halfback, we probably got 80 yards. Right. Yeah. Rushing, seven it was years. crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, uh, I should have asked this earlier, Brian, but 
what was your initial impression going into the game? Were you confident that Michigan would win, or were you concerned? I was quite confident, but I'm always concerned because we don't do well in bowls, number one. And I think that we, I think that you guys kind of alluded to moving up the bowl schedule a bit tighter to the end of the season. I think for Michigan, and I think for some of the lead teams, it's more problematic to have those three, almost four weeks of downtime because I think just too many things happen. Uh, they, they lose their tendencies. They, maybe they get a little rusty. Maybe they start scheming things that, oh, we should have tried that during the year. Let's plug this in now in the bowl game. And I think because we felt we were definitely the better team, uh, Harbaugh was willing to maybe take a little bit more risks here and there because he figured we could respond from it since we were probably the better team. It, it blew up in our face, and we turned out not to be the better team. Right. Well, I think it was because you guys almost came back even after all the mistakes. It was clear that you were the more talented team, the better overall team, but you didn't play as well in the day because there were the two pick sixes, the fumble yep. on first and a goal at the one-yard line that was very critical. Um, you know, so some devastating mistakes that just seemed to keep piling on. But then in the second half, you know, Michigan started making more of the comeback. Um, the quarterback started playing more consistently. TCU had their own fair share of turnovers and ended up being three and three on turnovers. So it was even over the course of the game. And TCU also let some huge plays go by. But then it seemed like as soon as that happened, Michigan uh, would be on defense, and then they'd give up a huge play to TCU. So, like you say, it was exactly. a shootout. Well, and and that's where yep. that, that's where them playing. It wasn't just the offense playing unusually. I thought your defensive coordinator, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, called a game plan that was more intimidated by TCU's spread attack than he had been all year against some other teams that he had yep. faced. That also had some very talented wide receivers i.e. Ohio State, uh, where uh, you went zero coverage. I mean, they went zero coverage. And so then you have one slip, you have one guy miss a tackle or take a wrong angle, and it's to the house. And and that happened, including at a critical point in the second half when you guys were mounting your comeback, and then they just just put a knife in it uh, because they throw the ball to a, you know, on a short route, really. and the guy ends up breaking one tackle, and boom, he's gone 60 yards or whatever it was for a touchdown. Yeah, Mentor called a hyper-aggressive uh, game, and I don't know exactly why he did that, because like you said, Pete, Maryland, uh, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Purdue, exactly. all had significant passing games, and we just sat back and, and bent, not broke, you know, don't just bend, don't break. And uh, we also had injured the uh, running back for TCU. Right. So their ground game was, was definitely, you know, it was just kind of muddied up. And sure enough, we could have backed off some and probably avoided some of the big scores and had a better chance at making, you know, the, the gains and making the uh, score a little closer or coming back completely. Right. But we just could I mean, never get that stop. After having all this conversation, I will say this. At the end of the day, you don't win a game in which you throw two pick sixes. So part of it exactly. is not only not, not only did you have a you had the same number of turnovers, but the Michigan turnovers translated immediately to to two scores for TCU and right. eliminating a score for you. I mean, because um, you're right on the goal line on the other turnover, right? So right. so the reality is those three turnovers represented 24 points or 21 yeah. points in favor of yeah. TCU. 
Yeah, clearly those 21 points would have made it a route on our, on our Abs- behalf. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, you can argue that the one play that we fumbled on the goal line should not have been even presented <laughs> to us because we should have gotten the score. Well, right. But, uh, you know, either, either way, you fumble the goal line and, and you, you can't do those kind of things. So the, pick, the two pick sixes, the fumble on the goal line, 21 points, yep. we, we essentially let them swing it. That's over. You know, can't over. You can't overcome that. Nope. It's not very often. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and the, we almost did. I know. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Th- there were some, you know, kind of questionable calls on both sides. You know, I think it was an SEC refereeing crew, um, and you know, because TCU had some calls called on them that I thought were kind of baloney. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was the targeting call at the very end of the game that oh. was not called, which would have given that you another. That did look like targeting me. That did look like targeting wow. me. Wow. No. Are you serious? No, you don't think so? Oh my God, I absolutely <laughs> believe it was targeting. There's no doubt okay, in my yeah. mind it was. Yeah. But no, but, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying I did think it was targeting. I oh, thought it was targeting. You thought yeah. it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 I 100 believe that you guys should have gotten one more snap. They they yep. should have moved the ball 15 yards, and you should have gotten one more snap. It would have been a hail mary. It doesn't mean you yeah. would, you would win the game or anything. But right. I, I, what frustrates me about that is the absolute abject inconsistency throughout college football of how With that targeting. is is yeah. yeah how that call is is applied how that call is reviewed because that call was called from the booth it was it was buzzed down from the because there was no flag on the actual play it was buzzed down from the from the booth the, so the booth guy saw it and he said hey let's take take a look at this but then after he reviewed it he said it wasn't targeting and yet <laughs> to me if if you read the rule book you know, you need to have one of three elements, not all three, but any one of these three, and it's targeting. And right. helmet-to-helmet contact is absolutely on that list. Now, I've seen all kinds of uh, targeting calls that were called all season long where uh, an offensive player lowers his head uh, to engage in contact with a defensive player, and they call that targeting. And to me, that is football, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas this play where you've got a guy whose back is to the, the oncoming defender. The defender flies in there with his helmet down like a spear, right? We used to call that spearing back when we yep. played. Helmet on helmet. Yeah, yep. and there was helmet Which on helmet contact. I don't know how you don't call that uh, I don't, uh, you know, um, uh, targeting. I, I, that know, was it's, such it's, a sloppy end of that game. Yes. And, and that, was, that was the punctuation mark uh, you know, the, yeah. uh, on the ending. But uh, I don't even know what happened to that play with the, the, the early snap and stuff. Yeah. But ironically, had we gotten the targeting call in the 15 yards, I think we would have been somewhere around midfield, maybe right. even slightly into the Ohio State. I'm sorry, the Samsung thing, Ohio State, TCU <laughs> territory. And I think there were still 20 seconds or so left. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There, there, there might have been more than one play. A Hail Mary. You're right. You're exactly yeah. right. That, right. To me, to me that, that uh, you know, so it that's, is what that's it is. But, but, I, yeah. but I, hate, I hate the way that – that right. that that particular call it gets uh, you know applied so inconsistently, right? right. It, it sort of reminds me uh, in F one, which I've somewhat gotten into last year. There was a big controversy where in the very last race of the year, where the two top people were tied in terms of points, so basically whoever wins this race wins the overall season. And there was basically they they interpreted the rules a bit differently and didn't want to let it end under a yellow, right? Under a yellow flag <laughs> because it was 
the end of right. the, 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 the championship, last. right? So kind of because of the circumstance, they said, okay, we're going to go back to regular racing for the last lap, and that disadvantaged the guy currently in first. Right. And so, right. you know, it was a big controversy. And this felt a little bit similar in that because it was the last play of the game and it was this confusing, chaotic thing, it would have been a huge momentum swing. The refs kind of backed off. Right. They just... and, and with SEC refs, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but la- last point I'll make is that um, I do want to give credit to Sonny Dykes at TCU. He and Absolutely. his staff clearly came with a good game plan. Their players were there to play. They were not looking ahead to the next game. They were here to beat Michigan. And to put some context on their success, in the Big 12 preseason poll, it had Baylor number one, Oklahoma number two, TCU seventh. Seventh within the Big 12, to give you an Isn't idea amazing? of how far they've come. Right. Complete flip-flop there, and, yeah. And, and, and Sonny, uh, I mean, he, he's, uh, he comes from the Mike Leach coaching tree, With given Mike's recent uh, departure, uh, rest in peace, may, may he rest in peace. Uh, that is, I think, an awesome thing. Uh, uh, but I think he's going to do very well at TCU in the new Big 12. I think TCU's positioned themselves quite nicely. And, and will do very well. And I would say um, one, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to just move on. <laughs> well, I'll finish up that thought, though, Pete, because i got to say one thing about okay. his quarterback. Okay. Uh, Duggan, oh, yeah. Duggan, Duggan, he inherited Duggan, and I tell you what, that kid is scrappy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason you, you, he's you know, a finalist for the Heisman because he just makes stuff happen. There were a couple times we, were, we had him in our grasp, and he slung the thing in a very awkward way to a, to a receiver. And it busted into a big play. The kids really got a great game savviness to him. So yeah, it was does. fun to watch. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he's, you know, the second uh, Heisman Trophy finalist that uh, Scott Frost easily could have gotten to Nebraska. <laughs> that he just. You guys have past. a record of that, don't we you? We yeah. really do. Yeah. You yeah. might hold the record for that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. yeah between Max and. There's a kid and, named Burroughs. And just a kid named Burroughs is somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Didn't get. Didn't get to you guys either. Exactly. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. And here's the reality that, that's the current. Uh, we had four, four quarterbacks, okay, within our 500 mile radius. All of whom had a connection to Nebraska. Either they were from Nebraska, or they uh, they're from South Dakota, or in some other way had a tie to Nebraska. We could have gotten any of them. We didn't get any of them this year. <laughs> in this year's senior, you know, senior class, the 2023 recruiting class. And, and we have no freshman or, I mean, incoming scholarship quarterback in our recruiting class because... Do you think, though, that's because of the fact you've got a good starting quarterback and they knew it? No. I think it's completely okay. because we we didn't even offer Kineholtz, who is the kid that switched, just recently switched commitments from Washington to Ohio State, okay? Mm-hmm. And he was a four-star athlete from South Dakota, right across the border. His cousin's... Uh, are all Nebraska fans. Most of his family is in Nebraska. Um, he wanted to go to Nebraska. We did not offer him a scholarship. Hmm. He's a four-star. Uh, we had yeah. another guy by the name of Flores who is from the state of Nebraska, and he's going to Oklahoma State. He signed with, uh, with Oklahoma State. We never offered him a scholarship. Well, you know, it is disappointing when you can't get your homegrown kids or kids within your well, zone. We didn't even but try. You've got a, yeah, you've got a good starting quarterback now. And you picked up a real nice portal uh, player too. Right. So, but but it's uh, just QB, it's just so. it's just it shows you how just unorganized and just incompetent it turns yeah. out our previous coach was. And you know it's it's crazy how you don't learn that stuff until the guy is gone 
And then you begin right. to realize, okay, he was oh, yeah. pulling these strings and making these decisions that seemed counterproductive, you know? Yeah. It's like he was almost self-destructing. My final point with Duggan is, too, I'll be curious to see how TCU does when this kid's gone. Right. Because I'm telling you, some of these quarterbacks are difference makers, oh, and he clearly is one well, of them. That's why they won seven games coming from behind. Yep. Yeah. Well, and why they went in overtime in the Big 12 championship game. Right. Exactly. That, that he one carried drive, that all. Yeah. He, oh, he put incredible. it all on his back. It was. All right. So then there's the Ohio State-Georgia game. Yes. Uh, Dad and I both predicted that Georgia would win. I said 38-28. You said 42-28. Ended up being a much closer game of 42-41. Uh, where Ohio State was leading for the majority of the game and had the chance to win it at the end, um, which would have been uh, Brian's nightmare, I know. <laughs> right. It would have definitely well, been phase two of my nightmare, yes. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to add to your nightmare. The reality is uh-huh. you, you still almost beat TCU, right? Exactly. And, and yep. after watching Ohio State almost beat Georgia, you could at least see, hey, they're vulnerable. You know, they're yeah. a team that, that is beatable, right? Well, and twice had, now. Had you guys beaten uh, uh, TCU, you would have looked at that next game at least with some optimism and say, hey, yeah. this team is beatable. This is not the Georgia of last year. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if you recall, the previous game that Georgia played against uh, their SEC opponent, who would they play? Uh, it was it South Carolina or someone? Who do they play in their in the bowl, championship in their game? conference championship? I feel uh, it was LSU. 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 That's yeah, right. That's right. And LSU, even though they lost the game fairly convincingly, LSU scored in droves on them. Yes. And I thought, wow. Okay, was it just a letdown or what? But clearly, they don't have the defense this year that they that they had last year. And, and especially, oh, very good. I mean, Ohio State. There were portions of the game yesterday, last night, where Ohio State was just playing pitch and catch. I mean, they were yep. throwing the ball, and their drives were four plays, and each one of them was 20 yards down the middle of the field. I mean, there were Well, when the quarterback, when uh, uh, the, the uh, quarterback for Georgia, Stetson Bennett, said, hey, I think we scored too early uh, with, what, 50 seconds left to go in the game, that's kind of indicative of the fact that he knew and they, they all knew their defense was not holding Ohio State. And again, frankly, they were right. Okay, and Ohio yep. State – had everything go their way. This I, I talked to Alex is laughing because I talked to them about this last night. I'm like, I can't believe this because Georgia had two injury timeouts during that final drive that basically mm-hmm. allowed Ohio State to save their timeouts. There were two yep. times where they didn't have to use a timeout. And then uh, Stroud, their great quarterback, has this fabulous run right down the middle of the field and gets them to uh, – uh, you know the thirty-yard line, 30 yard line. and they're right. they're they're basically first and ten at the thirty-yard line with like I don't remember the exact seconds, but it was eighteen seconds, nineteen seconds, you know, full twenty seconds, whatever. Uh, they had time left and two timeouts. You have mm-hmm. you have three plays to advance the ball from the thirty-yard line, get it close, and all you need is field a field goal. goal, and all you need yeah. is a field goal, and and they end up losing two yards in those three plays and waste <laughs> both their timeouts. And then exactly. he kicks a field goal that's a 50-yarder. And, you know, that's that's a field goal that even a good kicker is probably only going to hit, you know, 6 out of 10. And that's a really good field goal Oh, with that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say with that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, I, I just, again, Ohio State's coaching uh, during the I, stretch. I was going to say, uh, obviously, tremendous program. And I think uh, they showed it by the way they played Georgia. 
But I think Ryan Day has also shown some chinks in the armor for his coaching decisions and, and some of the things that he's done game during games. Not just he's a great recruiter. I think he's a great overall coach. They've got a great program. But I've seen a few things that, that have popped up that said, okay, doesn't, he doesn't have all the answers either. No. No. Yep, that's true. And um, I was struck by, uh, like you said, how easy – Ohio State was able to score on Georgia's very good defense in certain situations. They gave up their own pick six early on in the game um, and uh, had a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter, which I remember Mm -hmm. Dan and I said, you know, Ohio State was on a drive and they got a field goal instead of a touchdown, which meant they had the 14-point lead instead of a 17-point lead. And we said 14 points isn't enough. You needed the the 17 to make it a three-score game for Georgia, and that turned out to be – True. Um, And they had their own interesting situations where they had uh, opportunities to uh, get more points or make Georgia lose points, such as the targeting that got called back that would have made Georgia kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown or the uh, gutsy go for it on fourth down fake punt scenario that Ryan Day drew up that then got called back because of the timeout. No, 12 guys. There was a 12 guy. Well, right. But it was because of the timeout. Okay. You know, the Georgia guy called the timeout. Oh, that's right. Um, But it turns out there were 12 men on the field, so it may have been called back regardless. The point being, you know, Ohio State had plenty of chances. It was another exciting back-and-forth kind of game. Uh, We were disappointed because we wanted the SEC to lose, of course. Absolutely, Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, a bit bummed that it didn't turn out that way. But it was cool. I had the game up on my laptop, and we had the New Year's – uh, ball, ball drop. drop on the big TV, and it timed up uh, almost perfectly <laughs> with the field goal. Right, love it, love it. It was funny. Yeah. Well, the irony of the whole thing was uh, of yesterday's games. You figured, okay, the two defensive teams, Georgia, Michigan, they'll they'll just make this these games kind of uh, their own, just expecting. bully yeah. bully ball, and just do what they expect. And the other two teams will fold, and that'll be the end of it. Now. The two teams with the supposed good defenses got lit up. And the irony now is that as I look at Georgia, even though they won the game, TCU is the kind of team that can give them trouble, given the fact that in the last two, Georgia's not played particularly well against uh, wide-open offenses. So if they can't figure out a way to tighten up their pass defense, TCU's got a shot. Yeah, well, and that transitions us nicely into talking about the new national championship game, which will be... TCU, Georgia. Um, and I agree with you. You know, uh, I, I think I saw that the opening line was like, had them as a 14-point underdog. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Vegas clearly doesn't think highly of that particular matchup. You know, and I saw Stenson Bennett, Georgia's quarterback, saying in the locker room, like, we played, I played so bad that game, I can't believe that we won, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So, I think it will serve as a wake-up call to Georgia. Like, you know, we need to be on our toes. This TCU team is clearly good. They just proved it against Michigan, you know. So I think they'll come more focused. But at the same time, they did lose quite a few number of players to injury. I don't know how major any of them were, you know. And TCU lost their running running back, which is significant. Our running back, yeah. Um, But then again, in this game, Ohio State got uh, 348 passing yards on them and only 119 rushing. So, mm-hmm. you know, TCU's strength is passing, and that's what uh, Ohio State was able to use against Georgia. So I agree with you. I think 
Uh, although I would, if I was a betting man, I would still favor Georgia in terms of who's going to win. I think DCU can keep it interesting and might be able to pull off the Cinderella run. See, here's my, here's my thing. I, I think Georgia beats Ohio State comfortably if they have the right game plan. I, again, I, I'm going to go to the coaching staffs. And, Agreed. And, and, Both much cases. Like, yep. and, and much like you said with Michigan's, they had too damn much time to yep. uh, uh, to game plan. Scheme, game Scheme, plan. And yep. they just they overthink it, right? And now this this time they only have a week. So it's almost normal normal game week kind of process, right? So right. They, they won't do that. And in fact, I bet you they're going to, when they review the breakdown of the film, they're going to say, why didn't we run it more? Because they were running oftentimes at will against Ohio State. I mean, it yeah. was, it was when they would run, they were getting chunks. And they would do that, and then they would throw it three times. And it just, <laughs> it, it would just drive me nuts. I'm like, what are you doing, Georgia? Um, you, you've got Ohio State on their heels, and then it's first and 10 and you throw it. And I get that you wanna be balanced and you wanna do what they're not expecting and all that sort of stuff. But I'm a big believer in if you got them on their heels, that's the best time to do it again. That's the best time to go right at the same exact player, the same exact spot and get him doubting his manhood. I mean, just (laughs) totally destroy this guy, okay? And then guess what? He's done. Like the entire game, you got his number. And then your offensive lineman can start, you know, jiving with them, talking with them, and getting in his head even worse. Well, clearly the two favorites in both cases, Pete, they allowed the underdog to dictate the game. And, right. And that's where it got away from both schools, both programs. Right. Georgia, fortunately, was able to recover. We tried and couldn't do it. Right. But it, very similar in what happened in that those games should have been 35 to 14, 35 to 21 victories for Georgia and Michigan by just pounding the ball and neither school chose to do it. I, I totally got away agree. From, totally yep. agree. And so, but my, so my contention is uh, Georgia's going to have that discipline because they yep. don't have to, they, they don't have time to overthink it. They're going to look at this film with Ohio state and realize their mistake. And they're going to have a very ground based attack against TCU. And I think, I think TCU, uh, TCU is going to need to have some things happen in their favor early on, like what happened in the Michigan game. A TCU is going to have to have, you know, some easy points like a pick six, those kinds of things that, that lead to positive momentum and pressure on Georgia. Otherwise, I think, I think Georgia just kind of grinds this thing out. It'll probably end up being, like you said, a 35-17 type of game. Um, uh, but then maybe late, Georgia will start to just, you know, because a lot of times these championship games, once the outcome is kind of decided, the team that's losing kind of just loses it, and then the yep. other team just blows them away. So right. my, my, my guess is going to be that's why the, the, the Vegas folks have got a 14-point. That's a big, that's a big uh, pre-before-the-game um, uh, margin. margin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your you- best defense against these kind of teams, too, is keeping the offense off the field. Exactly. So if your offense can take up clock, I mean, I think this may be the first game, maybe the second game. We might not have won the time of possession against Purdue, but in most cases, we were almost two to one of uh, time of possession. So our defense is looking like they're really good. Fact is, they're not playing much. Right. And right. It, you can't score on them if they're not on the field. That's so, right. Uh, right. 
Um, interestingly, in the uh, Georgia game, they ran it 26 times and averaged 5.2 yards. Um, so to your point, when they did run it, they were having success, although then they got almost 400 yards passing it. So right. that was working out pretty well for them, too. Um, I will say uh, something in TCU's favor is that uh, Michigan and Georgia are pretty similar teams in a lot of ways and that they're right. both... Uh, have very good defenses, focus more on the running game, but also have good pa- a good passing game and things like that. Um, so TCU, obviously, they need to change up the game plan because uh, they'll uh, Georgia will look at the film of the Michigan game to see what they were doing. But I think you know their players are already kind of in that mindset, you know, to do similar things, and they were able to you know really frustrate the running game of Michigan. Uh, so I think it'll be key that they're able to do that against Georgia. And if they can, I think they've got a chance to win. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know what? I hope you're right. It's not <laughs> going to be what my my guess is going to be, but I hope you're right because what that would mean is that w- that would be two games in a row where this 3-3-5 defense, which is, the, which is the defensive concept that is the history of our new defensive coordinator, clearly created some confusion and is not something that you see every day in the Big Ten or, for that matter, in the SEC. The three three five is more more popular in the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve, and I think there's some ACC schools like Syracuse that were using it. Um, so well, it's uh, apparent that it must confuse coaches because they yeah. do a double reverse, a tight end <laughs> pass attempt at the goal line. So clearly, it is it is very confusing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's so getting to predictions then. Um, I'm going to, uh, because actually, uh, Dad and I are currently tied with four guesses correct between the two of us Excellent. for the bowl game so far. And the ones that Time are happening breaker. tomorrow on Monday were the same on. We predicted the same teams would win. So we need a tiebreaker. So I'm going to predict that TCU is going to win <laughs> oh, wow. in a narrow victory against Georgia. Um, and it'll probably be higher scoring because the semifinals both were. Uh, so I'll say that Georgia wins. Uh, let's say oh, you said TCU. TCU. I'm sorry. TCU wins. TCU wins. Uh, 42 to 41 over Georgia in a one point game. Wow! Wow! Gutsy call. <laughs> I'm going to that say that is a that, gutsy call. I'm going to say that uh, Georgia wins. I think it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to say 42 to 24 uh, for um, TCU. All right. What about you, Brian? I'm going to join you, Pete. I'm going to say 42, but I'm going to give TCU 28 points. Okay. And uh, uh, but I think Alex, he's got a wild card there that he yeah. might just pull it out. <laughs> that's that's a quirky team. It is. And sometimes there's just a team of destiny. Right. Yeah. And the ironic thing, and I'll, I'll, I don't want to get too far off subject here, but they were showing the differential between the student uh, population. enrollment right. population of TCU and Michigan. I mean, these are two very, very different schools right. uh, with, with the standpoint of yeah. finances and everything else. Right. And somehow TCU's put this together. It's right. impressive. Yep. 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 There's no doubt, you know, and that's part of what's exciting about the future 12 team playoff, right? Absolutely. You know, you yep. might get a team that's 12th or 11th, you know, that, uh, won their conference, but they're not considered very good, you know, in the global sense or whatever. Uh, but they could go on a run in the wow. postseason like you see in and, other sports. And, and and then the other thing with the playoff is late season injuries are going to become way more of a factor, right? Because yeah. now it's not just a one and done kind of deal like they have now or two and done, I guess. It's going to become for some teams four, 
right? Like you're going to play the first round, then you got to play the second round, then you got to play the third round, right? And right. then a championship. That's a lot. That's a lot of games. Well, and, and uh, injury in football can be an enormous thing to overcome. Not not, not uh, crying spill milk or anything or whining, but Blake Corum probably would have gotten us one of those touchdowns on the goal line yesterday. Would it have been enough? Maybe, maybe not. But that one player was critical. And all those teams are losing critical players. It's not just Michigan. Right. They're, you know, TCU lost a critical running back yesterday. So uh, it is, it's going to be tough to maintain health over that extended uh, yeah. duration of, of playing. And not, not to mention, not just playing, you know, podunk you, playing the best teams right. in the country. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Game after game. Yes. So if, a, if, a, if, a, if an underestimated uh, team, you know, a team that was 10th that was out of the 12 or whatever, you know, wins that first game, builds some momentum, avoids major injury, and then faces another team that maybe had uh, some accumulated injuries and was higher – higher in the pecking order but really uh wasn't anymore because they had lost a player of significance all of a sudden they win that one and now now they're in the final four and then it's then it's anybody's game right so yeah i mean i could see that kind of stuff happening those those first couple of rounds are going to be exciting yeah all right and to wrap things up here i'm going to end on two notes of positivity i know it's a a gloomy day for you, Brian, but uh, on the positive <laughs> no, side it's of things... A tradi- it's a traditional uh, day after New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's Eve. Traditional Michigan experience. I, I, I'm, I'm well practiced at this. <laughs> um, these, uh, objectively speaking, this is the best semifinal in the entire history of the 14 playoff because we've had years where one of the games was good and one was kind of a blowout. So in terms of both games being entertaining to the end, this was the best we've had so far. And it shows that there's more parity in college football than I think a lot of people would have said before because we saw both Big Ten teams be very competitive against the teams they're playing against, including the champion of the SEC. And we saw that the Big 12 champion was very good, better than people expected, had a very strong defense uh, subverting some expectations there. So I think it's yep. a sign of health for college football in a certain sense. That's true. I agree. The parity and the balance seems to be much, much more evenly spread. And I think it's also interesting to see different styles of play around the country and how they relate to that matchup, uh, whether it's a semifinal or a final. Yep, very true. So we'll have to see how the uh, championship game goes. I'm hoping we're here talking about the SEC losing next week, but we'll see. Uh, You're welcome to join us in the future, Brian. It's always fun having you on the show. Uh, It's been great fun, guys. Great. Uh, The fans out there can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us there. Leave us ratings or reviews. We always love hearing from the fans. We'll read comments out on the air. So thank you for joining me, Dad, for this fun Christmas weekend. And this thank you, great. Brian, for joining us for this special episode. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs> go Big Red.